0: Gospel of Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. May the Lord bless the reading of this living word. And may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What does love require? What are its boundaries and its limits? What does love obligate us to? In Joseph and Mary's time, marriage was less about love and more about economics and family status. It was a contract between the males in Mary's family and the males in Joseph's family. Mary's pregnancy deeply dishonored these men and made their agreement null and void. But this supposed breach of contract wasn't just between Mary and Joseph and their families, but also between them and the God of Israel. Their marriage was called up in a larger contract, a covenant with terms spelled out in the Law of Moses. Luke says that. Mark's, Matthew says. Sorry, we've been in Luke. Matthew says that Joseph was a righteous man, which literally means Torah or law abiding. According to Deuteronomy two twenty three to twenty four, a woman caught in adultery should be stoned to death. Joseph had enough compassion not to follow this law to the letter. He had planned to dismiss her quietly, which was the most compassionate thing he could have done. He planned to save her from death as well as public disgrace. But Joseph's love for Mary had limits. Alan Culpepper writes, "...it was his religious obligation to annul this marriage contract." It was not his prerogative to forgive her and act out that forgiveness by consummating the marriage. He must divorce her in order to demonstrate that his love for God is stronger than his love for Mary. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of Mary, do not be afraid Take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The God Joseph is trying to love by obeying the law tells him that to love him, he will have to break the law can't imagine how disorienting this would have been for Joseph. Joseph seems to be a man who follows the rules and likes to have a plan. Who does what is expected of him and expects others to do the same in return. All of us are a little like Joseph, aren't we? We are always entering into unwritten and even unspoken contracts with each other about what we will give and what we expect in return. But what Joseph has to learn, and what we all have to learn, is that true love cannot be bound by predictable terms. True love is so unfair. It asks from us more than we ever thought we would give, and though it is never a simple cause-and-effect transaction, It gives us so much more in return than we could ever deserve. Contrary to our popular myths about romance, love doesn't actually begin until these spoken or unspoken contracts we make with each other are broken. Love doesn't begin until we say yes to giving someone space in our hearts and in our lives when it costs us something when we have to deal with the ways they haven't lived up to our fair or unfair expectations for them, when they have hurt us, when circumstances beyond our control make loving them harder than we ever imagined that it would be. Joseph didn't say anything to the angel, but he said yes with his life. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And this would be the first of many yeses he would give to Mary and his baby, who would be God's loving yes to the whole world, even as it cost him everything. In Joseph, we see that love is a choice, that love is action. And today, Gabriel comes to invite us to say our own costly yes to God's love too. Jenny and I got married a little over nine years ago. And we did premarital counseling, and we read all the books, and we got lots of solicited and, of course, unsolicited advice about being married. And from all of this accumulated wisdom, we made vows to each other before God, in our community, and I made a to-do list of all the things that I would do, all the things that we should do to make our marriage successful. I didn't have any delusions that being married would be easy, but there was a part of me that subconsciously thought that if we just did all the things on the list, that if we just checked all the boxes, that we would not just stay together, but that we would stay in love with each other. That yes, it would be challenging, but that the requirements would be clear. That we could understand what it would take. With a whole 11 months of marriage under my belt, I performed my my first wedding as a pastor. I read the scripture and I passed on my to-do list. And I made a few cute jokes about what not to do. And I admonished the couple to work very hard on their relationship. And I wrapped it all up in 20 minutes so we could just get to the party. It was so easy. But ten years and a dozen weddings later, it feels a lot harder. When I sit across from an engaged couple at a coffee shop or when I stand between a bride and a groom and the altar, I struggle to know what to say. I'm much more measured. I ask a lot more questions and I make fewer jokes. I don't know how to put into words the gift and the challenge of trying and failing to consistently give Jenny the attention that she deserves. So that I might not just see her and her needs, but that I, I might put her needs above my own. That I might focus on her rather than asking her for what I need. I don't know how to articulate my daily struggle to allow her to be her true self instead of asking her in small and large ways to conform to my image of who she should be. When I talk to an engaged couple now, I remember all the struggles of all the other couples that I've walked with in friendship and ministry. Can anything I say to them give them what they need to weather that transition from the passion of young love, to the persistence of a love that lasts through time and change, hardship and disappointment? Can anything I say help them know how to fight for their relationship when they find themselves drifting away from their spouse emotionally? Or they see their partner drifting away from them? Or they give too much of themselves to work or the kids or, God forbid, another person? Can I prepare them to stay together through cancer and job loss? We say in sickness and in health and for richer or for poorer and until death do us part, but we don't often acknowledge the miracle that it takes to actually get there. Can any wisdom I offer tell them what to do with love that hangs on after the heartbreak of divorce? Even when it feels mutual and right, or the love that lingers long after a spouse dies? The answer to all these questions is no. There's no book you can read, there's no list you can write, there's nothing that can help you know what to expect. I can tell them every cautionary tale and every success story and give them every piece of advice I know. But they won't know what it means to love. They won't know what love will require of them until they are asked to say their own costly yes, and they do it. But what none of my words can make them understand is that it's also all worth it. What those of you who know who truly have loved know is that love is rarely a transaction where the cost and benefits always match up in any way that's clear. All love requires some hurt, some loss. There's no way to make space for someone else in your life without giving something up. And let's be real, sometimes love just feels like loss. Grief is the very real cost of love. But even then, in our loss, there is somehow gain. Because it is only when we lose some part of ourselves in love For a spouse, or a partner. It is only when our love for them breaks our hearts open that we can receive the love of the heartbroken God we find crying out in pain as the husband of unfaithful Israel in the book of Hosea. And God's love is the only thing that can save us. It's the only thing that can heal us. It's the only thing that can transform our lives. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, says that marriage is one of those places that we find sanctification. One of the places that over years and decades and even a lifetime, we say small and large yeses to love someone else, and we lose little parts of ourselves to meet their needs, and a space is opened up in our lives to receive the love of God, and for the love of God to refine us and to shape us and to transform us into the person we've been called to be. Therein, Therein lies that mystery that Jesus talks about when He says that those who want to save their lives will lose them. And of course, all of this has only become more clear and more painful to me in parenting. Like marriage, there are all sorts of books and blogs to read and classes and trainings and go-to. And yes, again, lots of solicited and unsolicited advice about how to be a parent and how to raise children. And like engaged couples, there is much joy and excitement and uh, naivete in all of us as we anticipate a birth or adoption. But what every new parent knows is that learning to love a child is much more humbling and sometimes humiliating than anybody could ever prepare you for. Can anything prepare you for the desperation of of loving a baby who won't eat, who screams and cries all night, making you feel powerless and inadequate? Can anyone teach you how to love a five-year-old who wakes up at 5 a.m. on a Saturday, who punches you when you aren't looking and spits in your face when you take away his iPad, and throws food on the couch, and makes it exceedingly clear that you are not in control of him or anything else in your life. Now, this is all hypothetical. I'm totally asking for a friend here. Can anybody tell you what the bounds of love for are for a young adult child who's an alcoholic? Who fills you with rage when you think about what she is doing to herself, who you don't trust to live in your house, but whose absence at the same time fills you with that desperate, helpless desire to embrace them like the prodigal son's father embraced him? Can anyone tell you how to keep loving a child who has graduated and is married and has moved away, and whether they've said it or not, seems to no longer need you anymore? Can anybody tell you what to do with love that lingers after you've lost your child? The answer, again, is no. They say that becoming a parent is like your heart leaving your body to live outside of your chest. And I think this is kind of that sanctifying process as well. With each moment, our children live and breathe and climb on the monkey bars and leave our house and our car by themselves, we are stretched and tested, and our hearts are vulnerable to be broken open again. And there is no way to describe the fear and the pain of that. But again, it also opens up our hearts to receive their love and to feel the joy of seeing who they are becoming that defies description And our vulnerability and our heartbreak again open us to receive the love of the Father whose heart was broken and whose heart swelled with joy as He watched His Son grow up in this cruel world and be killed on the cross. In a mystery that my words will always fail to describe, when we say that costly yes, when we choose to lose ourselves, to love our children to love our spouse, to love anybody who is in our lives. We meet the love of the Father. Again, that is the only thing that can heal us or save us or transform us. Like Joseph, many of us are called to say that continuous yes to love, that continuous yes to God, to those sanctifying things of marriage and parenting. The marriage and parenting are merely structures and symbols that teach us about the love of God who gives everything to love us. We are all called to say yes to those we love. Sons and daughters, brothers and sisters and friends and members of this household of God and family of faith. Love, yes, is impossible to describe, but it's not impossible To enact. It's made up of our choices. Our love becomes real not when we feel it or understand it, but when we act on it. The action always comes first. Joseph teaches us that love is something that we choose. There's a sign in Judah's bedroom that hangs also in a lot of newlywed homes. It reads, I choose you, and I'll choose you over and over. Without a pause, without a doubt, in a heartbeat, I will keep choosing you. We put this in his room long before the ink dried on his adoption papers and long before we ever got on a plane to China, before we met him over two years ago. As we prepared his room, it was a reminder of the commitment that we were making to him. That no matter how hard things got as he made his transition from orphanage to our home, and as he learned to love us, as we learned to love him, we were already choosing to love. We were already choosing to be his parents. And we will continue to keep choosing this every day, And now as we read this sign to Him and as He learns to read, I pray that it will be a message that helps Him rest assured that nothing He says or does, no challenge or disappointment or pain He brings to our lives, will never make us stop choosing Him. I think about this as He always asks me when I leave the room, where are you going? When He's cried on a sidewalk because we've said we were walking away. And I think about it when I think about his fear of abandonment as one who was abandoned as a baby. And I think about his desperation in that. And I realize that as much as I try to say this to Judah, I think that this is what God is always saying to us in our desperation and in our fear of abandonment in our worry that God will walk away. I choose you. And I'll choose you over and over and over. Without a pause, without a doubt, in a heartbeat, I'll keep choosing you. That is God's contract. That is love's contract. May we who were chosen by God over and over again without pause, without a doubt, in a heartbeat, keep choosing to love each other, whatever that cost. Let us pray. God, who loves us like a father loves a child, who loves us. Like a faithful husband loves a wife, and so much more than we can imagine. May we stop running away. May we stop trying to find love in so many other places. May we let go and know that you love us. May we say yes to your love. May we know that You choose us. And we may, may we know that however much it hurts, that it will be worth it to, lo- to choose others, to love others as You has taught us, because we will meet You there. May we be like Mary choosing Jesus, like Joseph choosing Mary and Jesus, and like Jesus choosing all of us in life and in death. In the name of our Creator, our Redeemer, and our Sustainer, we pray. Amen.